We're continuing in our, in our series in the book of Acts, um, actually completing the book of Acts after uh, many years. I think we might have actually been in the movie theater when we started walking through the book of Acts. And so we've kind of taken it a few chapters at a time, and then we'll go off into to Matthew and some New Testament letters and some Old Testament, and we'll come back. And so actually in the next uh, several weeks, we're actually going to get all the way to the end of the book of Acts. And if you're really ambitious, you can go on our website. And we have all of our sermons archived on there, and so you could listen all the way through the book of Acts. But we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 24, and so you can turn there. And uh, how many of you are really, um, just have a really strong sense of justice? Like you, uh, you don't want things, you don't like it when things aren't fair, you get angry, you get fired up, you tend to go on rants about unfairness, right? A few of us out here, you're not going to like today, okay? <laughs> because what happens in this passage is not fair, okay? And, uh, and, and I'm just like, I, I, I'm, I'm the same way, and so uh, it's been an intriguing passage to see Paul's perspective and how he handles uh, what's really an unjust situation. Um, we've been looking in this series at some really, we didn't really set out um, to do this. We had a, a sense of where we were going with each of the sermons, um, but it's, it's always kind of cool as we prepare them to see how they unfold. And what God is bringing us to in this series is these really foundational, fundamental, like big ideas. Uh, we talked about courage. What does it look like to have true, authentic courage? What does real freedom look like? Uh, what does it look like to live a life that, uh, in which you're living a story that's worth sharing with others, right? Uh, Keith talked last week about having purpose, and, uh, and he said, hey, we're here because of the resurrection. <laughs> if it's not for the resurrection, we don't have a purpose, right? And so we're looking at these big identities, courage, freedom, purpose, and today we're going to look at this big concept of justice and uh, and and how we obtain justice, and what we do when, when justice is hard to come by. And so I'm excited for it. Let me lift up a word of prayer, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive right into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, for this morning, uh, for bringing us to this place, uh, God. And I, I know that we're not here by accident, um, that you have something that you want to share with us from, uh, from your word, uh, that you speak, you speak all the time. Uh, you're continuing to speak, and, um, and it's to our great benefit when we lean in and we listen. And so, God, I just pray today that we would be good listeners, that our hearts would be opened, um, and that we would receive whatever it is that you have for us uh, in this passage um, to convict, to challenge, to encourage, uh, to do uh, what you need to do in our hearts so that we can become more like you and so that we can become um, a greater part of your kingdom, that we can do the good works that, that you prepared us to do, God. So help us to do that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, got it. Nope. There's a mysterious buzz. It went away. It came back. Sometimes I pull the Fonz, you know, where he used to hit the uh, the jukebox, and it would just disappear. But um, it's not working today. So, anyways, Acts 24, verse one. It says, after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. Uh, they lay before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying. Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight most excellent Felix reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and in everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. Now I need you to know at this point that the Felix is a really bad leader, right? There's, there's not much praiseworthy in what he's doing. Uh, he was widely criticized by pretty much everybody, and, and as we'll see in about two years, he's going to lose his post and his position. And so uh, there's not a lot of sincerity in this, but he's, he's really buttering him up, right, as he, as he goes 
into it. And he's like, man, you're so amazing. Thank you for this time, right? And so uh, he says, uh, but, but to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Uh, the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my, my defense. Um, I like Paul's approach, right? <laughs> the other guy's like, you're amazing. You do all these great things. Paul's like, you've been here for a long time. So <laughs> that's the best thing I can say. So sometimes when you don't have anything nice to say, just say, you know, just say a fact and hope that they take it as a compliment, right? <laughs> hey, you've been here a long time, so I know that you will hear this, right? Uh, you can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they are now bringing up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia... They ought to be here before you and make an accusation uh, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, uh, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave the orders to the centurions that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. He said, go away for the present. When, when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Kind of leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth, right? <laughs> like, like Paul gets up, they make all these accusations against him. Paul gets up and, and in a very orderly way lays out and says, hey, all the things they're accusing me of, didn't do them, right? No evidence, no proof. In fact, I was doing the opposite of most of what they said. Uh, the guy hears him. He knows a good bit about, about the way, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He promises that he's going to hear his case, and then he holds him in prison for two years, trying to get a bribe out of him. And when his time ends, he decides to leave him in prison. Like, man, where's the justice? <laughs> where's, 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 where, isn't God with him? For two years, God left him abandoned in that prison? Right? It, 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 we struggle with it, but, but we don't, what we don't seem to see is, is Paul struggling with it, right? I mean, I'm sure he had his days where he woke up and would have rather been somewhere other than prison. Uh, but there seems to be, Paul at this point seems to be just allowing God to set the course. Wherever the course goes, he's committed to follow him, and, and he doesn't seem to be welling with this, this, this anger about injustice that, uh, that I often have. Uh, ever since I was a young 
kid, this has always been something. Most of the arguments that I got into as, as a child with, with my siblings was over uh, issues of justice. If I felt like somebody wasn't being fair, if I felt like one was trying to get something that somebody else didn't have, and so we got in arguments, and it carried through all the way into my, my college years. It became an inside joke with my friends. They, they would always say, hey, you're not the judge. And that became like the thing that they would say to me all the time because I was always trying to judge situations. Uh, maybe I missed my calling. You know, maybe I should have been seated on a bench somewhere, right? But um, by God's grace, I'm here, and, uh, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but let's look, look real quickly at Paul's defense, because it's significant to see the things that he says, right? First, they accused him of being a plague and one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. And he said, hey, look, I went up to worship. I wasn't disputing with anyone. I wasn't stirring up a crowd. I was purified ritually. I didn't have a crowd or a tumult around me. And the one thing that I did do is I, I did stay, speak out in the meeting and I said, hey, it's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. He basically says, hey, I, I wasn't doing, <laughs> I'm not a plague. <laughs> I'm not stirring up riots. I've been a part of a bunch of riots, but I didn't try and start any of them. <laughs> they actually all were completely against my will. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he does one thing that I think is helpful for us. He says, hey, there was one thing. I was in the thing, and I, and I knew that some of the, the, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do believe in the resurrection. And so I did say, hey, I'm on trial because of the resurrection of the dead, and I knew that that would. And so he admitted that, yeah, that might have been a little inflammatory, right? And sometimes when we feel like we're like 95% right, our, our thing is to bury the one, the 5% that we might be wrong on, right? We just kind of shove that way back in the back and hope nobody notices it. Uh, but Paul's forthright. He says, hey, look, th there's no reason for anybody to have anything against me. I did do one thing, and I'll, and I'll admit this. I'll acknowledge this. I said this. Um, but if that's my greatest charge, uh, what are we doing here, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a waste of our time. They accuse him of being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He says, according to the way, which is what they called uh, followers of Jesus at that time, he says, I worship uh, the God of our fathers, believing the laws and the prophets, having a hope in God that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, and I seek to have a clear conscience before God and man. He says, hey, you can call it a sect if you want to, but I believe everything that it says in Scripture. I believe the, our forefathers, I, be, I believe the prophets, I believe the Torah, I believe all of that, but I also believe that Jesus has fulfilled what the prophets were speaking about. But I'm not in opposition to the temple or the Jewish law or any of these things, and so they're wrong to accuse me of being against those. And the third thing, they said that he tried to profane the temple. And he says, hey, look, I came actually to bring alms, to bring offerings, to help out the poor, uh, to, to minister to, to those that were in need. Uh, and I came and I purified myself. And so there's really no reason that they should have anything against me. And so Paul is found uh, by any objective audience to be innocent of the charges that they've brought against him. And yet he remains in prison. Uh, but what I see Paul doing here is actually pretty interesting. He ends up flipping the script. <laughs> Felix thought that he had Paul on trial, but what Paul does is he actually takes and he puts Felix on trial. And so if you guys will do this, everybody stand up for a second. Just stand up real quick. If you can, if you're not able to, that's okay. But if you, if you can. All rise. The Honorable Judge Jesus Christ is now presiding. You may be seated. All right, you can sit down, right? So we have now entered into the court. <laughs> they thought they were trying Paul. But now Felix is on trial, and if we're honest, we're on trial as well as we read through this, right? The things that he talks about, they should convict us. They should challenge us. And, and let me give you a, a little hint. When, when you're reading through the scriptures, 
if you always identify with whoever you think is the good people in it, like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I would do whatever Jesus was doing. Yeah, I'm like Paul. I'm on trial. I'm persecuted. Uh, you know, I'm like the disciples when they're doing good things, but when they say weird, stupid things or if they, if they question Jesus, uh, I, you know, I distance myself from them. If you always relate to whoever's the, the good person, uh, you're missing a huge opportunity for growth and conviction, right? You mature a lot when you look at Scripture and you say, man, who has it wrong and is there some small element of that in my heart? Is there some way in which I'm getting it wrong in the same way that Felix was getting it wrong? And so, so Paul speaks very specifically to some things that were convicting, very convicting. When he, you notice when he said, it says Paul started talking to, to Felix about faith in Christ and about righteousness and self-control and about the coming judgment. And, and when that happened, uh, he got a little bit nervous, right? He, he says uh, he, he was alarmed, and he said, go away for president. When I have an opportunity, I'll summon you again, right? It, it, it shook him a little bit because Paul knew how to point at the things in his life that were, that were lacking. And so my hope is today in the time that we have that we can look at these things, and they're going to present us some opportunities to identify some areas where maybe we're missing the mark. That's what the Bible calls sin, right? Sin is just missing the mark. Here's God's target, and you might have aimed just a little left of center. Or you might be aiming in the exact opposite way. But either way, uh, to course correct, to be on target with God is going to be such a blessing uh, to your life. And so there's four things. I just mentioned them uh, briefly there. He talks about faith in Jesus Christ. He talks about righteousness. He talks about self-control. And he talks about the coming judgment. So let's begin, uh, as Paul does, with faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's something interesting in this passage. It's, it says that Felix had a rather accurate way, knowledge of the way. In other words, he knew a good bit about those that were following Christ. He knew, he knew what they did. He knew the essence of what they believed. Uh, he had a good understanding of, of the tenets of the early Christian faith. And, uh, and while we're at it, the, his accusers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that came down against him, also had a pretty good knowledge of what Christians believed. Uh, they understood who Jesus claimed to be. They understood what these believers believed about him. And so, uh, but we're told, uh, we understand that they did not have faith in Christ. And so there's a difference between knowing facts, having knowledge, being around, being surrounded by Christian things, and having faith in Christ. Right? It's very possible to grow up in a church and hear religious things, hear stories from the Bible, hear about the facts of salvation without ever actually coming to faith in Christ yourself. Uh, it's kind of similar to, uh, there was a summer when I spent uh, the summer at Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina. And uh, when, you know, when you go on vacation, every day you get up, what do you do? You get all your stuff, you go down to the beach, and if you miss like one day out of seven, you're like, oh man, I can't believe we didn't go to the beach that day. Once I lived down there, I think the whole summer I might have went to the beach like five times, right? Because when you're there, when you're in it, it just kind of becomes background. It, 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 uh, you, you kind of lose the significance of it. And it can be the same way if you were raised in a, in, a, in a Christian home, if you were raised in a religious environment, if you were raised going to church, and from your earliest remember, memories you remember the flannel graph stories and Jonah and the whale and all these things, you can kind of lose the impact of who Jesus is and what he has really done. And you can become numb to it, and you can become hardened to the reality that the Bible presents to us. So what, what does it look like to have faith in Christ? Faith in Christ is believing his claims about his identity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
Jesus claimed that, the, that he was the Son of God. He claimed uh, equality with God, right? That he is the second person of the Trinity. These are incredible claims that we either believe are true or we deny. We need to believe that he rose from the grave, that he, he died, his body died, it was buried in the grave, and that he rose again. We need to believe that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for our sins, that, that, that his sacrifice was perfect and complete and wholly acceptable before God. We need to believe that, that Jesus loves me and died for my sins, right? And this is an important one. Uh, if you believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and you believe that, that he kind of, uh, you, you have kind of the facts down, there's a difference between that and saying, man, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I'm, I'm not worthy to be with God. And yet I recognize that even if I was the only sinner in the whole world, Jesus would have came because of his love for me and he would have died for me. And he did die for me. And he's offered me forgiveness. I'm truly forgiven. The more personal you make the gospel, the more that you realize that it's for you, that you've been forgiven, that you are loved, that's where your faith really grows. Right? That's, that's, that's where it becomes real to you in a personal way. You need to believe that there's no other way to salvation, right? He's not one option among many. He's not even the best option, right? Don't follow Jesus because it's the best path to God. Jesus is the only way to God. He says no one comes to the Father except through me, right? And so, so to believe and to put your faith in Christ is to say, hey, um, all my eggs are in the Jesus basket. <laughs> if, if Jesus was not telling the truth, if the Bible was not real, it says in Scripture that we are to be pitied above all men. Because we've based our life on something that's not reality. But, but if the Bible is true, and I know that it is, then, then my faith and hope rest securely and completely in that. So that's our first question today. Do, do you have faith in Christ? Not do you know about Christ. Not do you have a general kind of knowledge. Not can you recite the facts. But do you have faith that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins and has forgiven and freed you and that when you die, that you'll be accepted into heaven because of him. And a good test for yourself to ask is, is this question. If you stand before God uh, when you die, what will you say when he says, hey, how, why should I allow you to spend eternity in heaven? If your answer is, well, hey, I did all these things. Man, I, 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 I gave a lot of money to these good causes. I, um, I was at church a lot. I did miss a couple Sundays, but I had good reasons. I had my absentee excuse, right? I got a doctor's note. Um, you know, I wasn't. Uh, if, we, if we're trying to build up a record of our own righteousness, it's an indication that we haven't come to faith that our salvation comes through Christ alone, that it's his righteousness that it's applied to us, right? And so the right answer in that scenario is, is to say, Father, I, I, I recognize that I'm not worthy to enter into the kingdom, but I believe that you loved me so much that you sent your son to die for me. And he's promised that his righteousness would be applied to me as he took my penalty that I deserved. And so I believe that you'll allow me into the kingdom because of Jesus. That's an answer of faith, right? And so where, where are you at with that today? Do you have faith in Christ? If not, that's the first step. Put your faith in Jesus. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till later. Do it today. We don't know how much time we have. Second thing that he talked to him about was righteousness. How are we justified before God? Well, uh, spoiler alert, I just gave you the answer, right? <laughs> Our righteousness comes through Jesus. 
Uh, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are made righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. His righteousness is applied to us. That's how we have a right standing. Uh, to be right with God is, is, is righteousness, right? But there's lots of other ways that we pursue our own kind of righteousness. One is, is what we would call self-righteousness. This is where we identify a set of standards that we kind of pick and choose. And a lot of times we pick the ones that we're naturally kind of good at. And we say, these are the most important things. This is the scale. If you're doing these things well, you're a good person. The Pharisees were famous for this, right? The Pharisees said, hey, we, we ritually clean ourselves before any meal. We, do, we wash our hands properly. We wear the right attire. We, uh, we always give uh, a tithe of everything, even down to our spice rack. We make sure that we're, we're very religious in all these things. And Jesus came and challenged them and said, hey, that's great that you do all those things. You should do those things. But you've neglected the poor. Yeah, you, you're, you, you tell people that it's okay to, to leave their parents in their old age because you want the money to come into the temple instead. Uh, you're, not, you're not having the heart of God. And so doing the actions of God disconnected from the heart of God is not true righteousness. And so he challenged them on that. The other thing in, in self-righteousness, what we do is we tend to look at people who aren't doing the things that are on our list so that we can feel better about ourselves, right? And so we're very judgmental. We're like, look at that. There's at least a dozen people. I'm at least ahead of those dozen people in line. I know I'm better than them, right? It's not a helpful way to live. And what it does is it pushes people away. It doesn't draw people into a relationship with Christ. It pushes them away. It makes them feel like they're never going to be good enough. They're never going to be worthy. But that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus says. Another, another way that we pursue righteousness is worldly righteousness. We care more about the approval of others and the popularity of our choices than the objective measure that God has provided for us. We see this with Felix, right? That he, he's, he's kind of taking polls. He's taking the pulse of, hey, what, what's better here? You know, if I, if I leave Paul in prison, is that going to gain me more favor uh, with the Jewish leaders? Uh, you know, hey, hey Paul, if, if I keep inviting you to come talk, do you think maybe you can give me a bribe? Like, you know what I mean? I know, I know you said you brought alms with you, so maybe you have some connections to money, so maybe I can curry some favor with you. And get, right? He's just, he's kind of, he doesn't have a standard of righteousness. He's just going after uh, whatever will get him the most approval and the most gain. Sadly, we saw this a couple weeks ago in the, in the Supreme Court uh, uh, hearings uh, that we observed, right? And, and they just kind of openly talked about it. They'd say, hey, this senator, you know, this is a, this is a, a Republican senator, but, but they're in a very Democratic state, and so it might be hard for them to vote yes on this, on this issue, or this, this Democratic senator is in a very Republican state, and so they might end up voting uh, yes just so that they can get reelected when the midterms come, right? And so it wasn't like a bunch of people coming together and saying, we care about justice. <laughs> we want to know the truth, and wherever the truth leads, we will follow it. Sadly, it was a bunch of people saying, like, hey, how can I spin this? What angle do I need to come at to make sure that I get advanced out of this situation, whatever happens? And I think overall, Americans were, were sad that, <laughs> that we weren't more concerned with justice than we were with politics, right? And so hopefully that will lead to some, some continued change. But I'm not getting political here today. Um, the other area that we see this uh, is, is in social media, and I think this can be really dangerous. Um, there used to be a time when, when you lived, you know, you growing up, if you grew up in the era before social media, you know, you had a few friends, right? You made some friends in high school, you made some friends in college, you had a circle of friends, people, and you built 
relationship because of their character and you got to know them and you went through some things and so you valued their opinion. And so when you're getting into something and all of a sudden you say, hey, I'm going to do this really horrible idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this thing that makes no sense. Your friends would be like, dude, don't do that. That is a horrible idea. Stop doing that and, and, and screw your head back on straight, right? But in the era of social media, we have thousands of acquaintances. And so you, I, I cha- well, I'm not going to challenge you to do this because you would do it and it would be a bad idea, right? But you could put the craziest thing in the world out there online and you're going to have somebody like it. You're going to have somebody say, I've been thinking the same thing, right? Uh, you should definitely do that. That is absolutely right. You don't have a relationship with that person. You don't really know them. I saw this happen with one of my friends from college. He, 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 got, he just started going down a wrong path. And, and at first I saw a bunch of, of his friends, his true friends, like saying, hey, what are you doing, man? This doesn't make sense. This isn't you. This isn't where you want to go. And, and, and he followed it. But, but little by little, I saw creeping onto his feed more and more people that I had never seen before. I didn't know who they were. I don't know where they came from. But they started saying, man, you're right. You should do that. Yeah, you know, I, I, let, let's meet up. Let's talk about this, right? And so, uh, so we live in an era where any bad idea can find a bunch of people to pat you on the back with, right? So we got to be careful with that. Where's your righteousness coming from? Is it, is it just from popularity? If you get five people to tell you it's a good idea, does that mean it's a good idea? Clearly it doesn't. And so our standard of, of, of righteousness needs to be different. Uh, there's another, another type of, of uh, righteousness I would call scoreboard righteousness. It's, it's might makes right. Whoever wins gets to determine what was right, right? The victors write history. Um, and, uh, and I have a, a clip, but I'm not going to have time to show it to you today because... Um, because I have other stuff I want to say, but it's a clip from Braveheart, and uh, for you guys that have seen that, you remember the scene where Robert the Bruce uh, betrays William Wallace? If you don't know what I'm talking about, your afternoon, you should just go watch Braveheart, right? Like, that's it's one of the greatest movies. This is one of the greatest scenes ever, right? So, so Robert the Bruce betrays William Wallace uh, at the advice of his father, and it just guts him, and so he goes and he confronts his father, and he says, Father, what have I done? And he's like, you increased your titles, you increased your lands, you took care of your family. This is a win. We advanced today. And he's like, titles, land, nothing. It's like, what does all that mean? What is it all worth? Yeah, we won. But, but I saw what William Wallace stands for, and it's, it's something better. People give their life fighting in battle beside him because they believe in something greater than themselves. How many of us feel like there's been times where we kind of sold ourselves out for a cheap win, a cheap victory? And afterwards, you're like, man, that wasn't what I thought it was. The end, with tears in his eyes, he's like, I will never be on the wrong side again. And that's how we should live our lives, right? We should be determined to follow God's righteousness. He's the one who establishes the right record. There is an objective, perfect record of what is right. And it's been established by God, and we have to read his word in order to know what it is, in order to know who we're supposed to be, in order to know whether our decisions and our actions are right and wrong. We have no excuse, right? He's, he's revealed his will to us. But will we, will we, will we lean into it? And will we, will we understand that righteousness ultimately comes from Christ? This ties into this idea of self-control. It was the third thing that he talked about. Felix was a man with really no self-control. He was a violent man. 
he, he was a bad ruler. He was kind of rejected on all sides and didn't keep his position for very long. It talks about his wife, Drusilla. Uh, she actually was married to another man we know historically, and, uh, and he came up with this crazy scheme where he sent somebody in to kind of pluck her out because he wanted her for himself because she was reported to be very beautiful. He had no moral compass, right? He just followed the lust of his, of his heart and his desires. And so Paul starts pushing him on self-control. And the question when it comes to self-control is this. Is, uh, is your identity created by your actions? Or are your actions created by your identity? Is your identity created by your actions or are your actions created by your identity? It's, it's really significant. So many of us don't know who we are. And so we try and craft and create an identity for ourselves by doing things. If I climb that mountain, if I get that promotion, if I get married and have 2.5 kids and a white picket fence, if I, if I do these things, then I will have an identity. Then I will be the person that I want to be. And so my actions, the things that I do, shape who I'm becoming. But in the Christian faith, it's the exact opposite. We are given an identity. When we come into relationship with Christ, we are given an identity. We are somebody. It's established, and it's rooted in a perfect and finished work of Jesus. And so then our actions flow out of that identity. We say, who am I? Am I the kind of person that does that? No, I'm not, so I'm not going to do that, right? And so our, our identity drives what actions we take. Which one is a better descriptor of how you're living your life? Are you trying to carve out an identity? Are you pursuing an identity? Or are you living out of the identity that you have in Jesus? The, the, the idea of self-control is, is kind of a misnomer, I guess, a little bit in, in English because um, it's really not us controlling ourselves at all. It's really Holy Spirit control, right? <laughs> it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So it's not like, hey, I know what the bad things are and I'm going to work really hard and plan and put fences in place so that I don't do the bad thing and I'm, I'm just going to make sure that I will it up in myself to never do that bad thing. Because if that's how you think about self-control, then when you do the bad thing, you're just going to be completely gutted. You're going to be destroyed, right? Like, oh man, I'm horrible, <laughs> right? But if you, if you, if you say, God, I know, I know what you require. I know what you desire. Give me the strength to live in the way that you want me to live. Help me to remember who I am and whose I am so that I won't desire to do the things that don't fit with my identity. It's a, it's, it's a significant difference. Felix had a lot to learn in that area, and, and most of us do as well, myself included for sure. Who is in control of your heart and your mind? Who and what is shaping it? Is it some idea of the American dream? Is it, is it uh, politicians? Is it, is it bloggers? Uh, or, or, or are you living in an identity that's been identified and defined by God through Jesus? And the final piece that he talks about with Felix, and this is probably the part that freaked him out the most, was the coming judgment. Felix was kind of like that kid that throws a party in high school, and, uh, and he knows it's wrong, and he knows he shouldn't do it, and he's really afraid that his parents are going to find out. But he's like, man, I just want to try and have as much fun as I can before my parents get home. Right? He's, like, he's like, I know I shouldn't be there because he felt guilty. He felt convicted. He wanted to talk to Paul, but he didn't want to talk to Paul. Right? He, 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 was, he was torn. He knew that he was in the wrong, but he, he, he wasn't willing to give it up. Or he was hoping maybe he could clean the mess up before his parents got home and maybe they would never know. Right? The Pharisees were on the other side of it. 
they didn't fear the judgment at all because they were convinced that they were on the right side of it. They were convinced, hey, I can't wait for judgment day because when it does, God's going to pat me on the back and say how good I did, and he's going to throw all those heathens into the fire, right? And so they had no, no fear of judgment. But the Christian walk is much different. The Christian walk puts great reverence, and man, the day of judgment is something to be respected, to be, to, to honestly, apart from Christ, to be feared, right? The idea that God would look at our lives and, and judge the worthiness of the things that we've done, that should challenge all of us. But the gospel also provides this great hope that says when that time comes, I don't have to stand on my own moral record. I don't have to stand on my goodness. I don't have to explain away the moments when I just failed and, and fell short. I just have to rest in Christ and what he has done for me. And so the judgment is to be, to be revered and respected, but it's also something in which we have great hope. If, if you're over on the side of the Pharisees where you're, you're convinced that you have nothing to fear on Judgment Day, then the conviction is that you need to take that more seriously. Are you sure? Right? Sadly, we saw Hurricane Michael come in this week, right? And there were a bunch of people uh, that said, hey, you know what? I live in Florida. I've seen a lot of hurricanes, you know. I, I know they're telling me I need to evacuate, but I, I don't know that I need to evacuate, right? But all the people that they interviewed after the storm, everyone that stayed said, man, I should have left. I will never do that again, right? They didn't fear it until they experienced it. We should, we should, we should, we should understand that the coming judgment is not something to be to taken lightly. But because of Jesus, it's also not something that we have to fear. He has offered each of us hope of forgiveness and acceptance before God. And that's the good news that we get to share with other people. And so many of the people that you meet in the world will either be convinced that they don't have to fear the judgment. Oh, there's no such thing as hell. I'm a good person. I'm sure I'll be fine when I die. Or they're incredibly afraid of it, so much so that they've just kind of given up and they're like, well, I don't know, I'm such a mess up, like God will never accept me anyway, so I might as well have as much fun as I can before, before it all goes down, right? But, but the gospel brings people from either of those places to a different place. It says, everything that you've done can be forgiven. And your life can have purpose and you don't have to fear judgment. And you can actually be grateful because how many of you have been wronged? Anybody in here ever been wronged? <laughs> right? And a lot of times we don't get that clean sense of justice and, 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 you know, the person that wronged us doesn't go off to prison. They don't get fined. They don't come in a repentant way and apologize and say, I am so sorry, will you please forgive me? Right? We, we, a lot of times we just don't get that in life. But we can take comfort in seeing here that, that God sees everything that happens. That at Judgment Day, everything will be accounted for. There's nothing that happens that doesn't happen under God's eye. And if you suffer injustice in this life, you can trust that God knows and he sees. He knows everything that's going on. And if you persevere, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you live out of his righteousness, his identity, you let him define what self-control looks like, and you can have great encouragement. And you can be like Paul. You can sit in jail for two years and just keep sharing the hope. <laughs> just keep sharing the gospel. Paul just kept, every time Felix came, be like, oh, good, you want to come and talk? Let me tell you about righteousness. <laughs> let, me talk, let me tell you about faith in Christ. He, he, he let control in God's hands, and that's what we need to be doing as well.